playing Switch Andy on her podcast. My God. <laughs> All right, I gotta, I gotta go. I, I've got better things to do with my life. Welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy, oh. Duncan, <laughs> and Jeff. Yellow. Now, I don't completely get the British accent. Was that raw or roar? Raw, because we're doing kaijus this week. Oh. <laughs> it, it was almost a raw. Raw, raw. Yeah. Well, the thing that the thing that really gets me when I listen to like the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast is they say tube, tube, which really weirds me out YouTube. now that I can notice it. YouTube. 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 The London tube. Tube. The London the tube. Yeah, or the underground. I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of halfway between TS and TSU and CHU. It's very language is weird. The fact that we use our mouths to communicate. Also very strange. So uh, when when British people call it the channel, did they even realize that it was a, a clever <laughs> like combination of things? Or <laughs> they're just like, oh, very clever, and all the Brits are just like, oh yeah, I guess um, yeah, yeah, it is a tunnel. It does go underground. <laughs> call it the Channel Tunnel, yeah. which is like mm, can't be bothered abbreviating. Yeah, yeah the Channel Channel. <laughs> the channel channel. <laughs> Well, I was trying desperately while we were making that joke to come up with a segue, but um, yeah, we're going to be talking about some of the anime we've been watching. We've actually been watching, at least for me, courtesy of the stay-at-home order, which is about to be rescinded in my home state. So meantime, I've been able to build a brand new computer and watch a bunch of anime. Uh, So we have a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about. So yes, I will be talking about uh, the first Urusei Yatsura movie, Urusei Yatsura Only You. I will be talking about the original Sailor Moon from the early 90s, uh, directed in part by Kunhio Ikuhara of uh, Revolutionary Gluten fame. I'll be talking about a mystery mid-90s anime that so far all of my co-hosts have failed to guess because it's not that good or famous um so tune in you haven't even uh, attempted to guess like there's been no attempt at guessing so far d- no duncan duncan tried duncan guessed slayers which i which i'm heartbroken that duncan would think that i think that he wouldn't think of slayers uh try to trace out that logic uh we'll be talking about uh, a certain magical railgun a certain scientific railgun fuck a certain scientific railgun t uh and you'll be talking about some shit called princess connect uh and then we'll have some Kiki delivery service talk because people have been going back to their old favorites. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need need to, especially times like yeah, this. Well, especially in especially yeah. in this time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for starters, we have uh, the anime that I was talking about, uh, the movie, the first Urusei Yatsura movie that aired, and I think nineteen. Oh, I don't have it pulled up. It aired sometime in the, like. 80s uh called urusei yatsura only you um this is not the one that everyone loves the second urusei yatsura movie urusei yatsura uh beautiful dreamer although it is uh, mamoru oshi directed is this the one that Um, everybody hates uh i didn't really like it so sure i guess um I was like, you know what would be the worst thing for an Urusei Yatsura movie is just to take one episode of uh, Ataru 
the philandering young man who, by a series of confusions, has become engaged to this wacky, extremely devoted alien named Lum, um, and she moves in with him and thinks they're married, and he uh, wants to cheat on her with as many women as possible, but is, of course, unsuccessful because he's that kind of, like, weird shitbag protagonist that the Japanese anime sometimes likes. And, and Lum, um, Lum wears, like, a fucking leopard-striped bikini. Yeah, she's an Oni, technically, <laughs> so she, like, has green, greenish-blue hair and wears, like, a leopard-print bikini, and she's got a huge father who wears, like, a leopard-print bodysuit and has, like, fangs and stuff. Um, and she shocks him whenever she's mad at him, which is fairly often because he's trying to cheat on her constantly. And, then also, and that's the anime. And that also shocks him whenever she's in a various state of undress, which is always... Um, yeah. Which is insane, because she's trying to get his away, end away with anyone, and there's one woman right there who's like, well, I'm... And, yeah, it, anime. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting that I'm going to be talking about Urusei Yatsura, which I've been watching the TV show off and on. I'm like 54 episodes in out of 198, so yeah, <laughs> it's a long way to go with that. But the movie itself um, is interesting because it's the, the, Urusei Yatsura is the beginning of Mamoru Oshii's career, uh, the same way that Sailor Moon is the beginning of Kunihio Ikuhara's career. So I have two, like... Eight, late 80s, early 90s okay. standards. Now, he's the um, director, sorry. Yes. Uh, well, Kaneko Ikuhara is, like, partial director, like they do a lot in long-running series mm. early in the earlier years of anime. Mm. And Mamoru Oshii directs, like, the, the first 100, 108. Um, so the first two seasons of 54 episodes. Um, and Urusei Yatsura, when I was watching it, I was like, you know what would be the worst thing? Uh, the movie is if the movie is just uh, an hour and a half long episode of like Ataru meeting a new girl who he thinks is hot and then totally ditching Lum and leaving her out in the cold to try to hook up with her. And then it turns out that the girl is crazy or dangerous in some way. And then Ataru reluctantly goes back to Lum who takes him back because that's true love. And that is exactly what the, what the anime <laughs> Which is. is insane, uh, if all he's going off is base attractive, Lum's kind of hot. Yes. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, he doesn't like that she likes him. It's very weird like that. Oh, it's funny. Uh, he wants, he, he, like, he's got a, his girlfriend whose name's like, oh, I should have this pulled up. I was trying to type it in quietly, yeah, but I don't want to make our editor she, suffer. Doesn't he have a girlfriend, if I remember correctly from, like, the English dub, the hilarious British dub of this anime, which you should search because it's really, really funny. They all have Cockney accents. It's on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, doesn't he have a girlfriend already when Urusei or Lum comes down to land on Earth? Were you going to call her Urusei Yatsura? Yeah, like, hey, the titular <laughs> Urusei Yatsura. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the, na the name literally means, like, those aliens with, like, the uh, impolite Urusei as, as like, the, as, like, those fucking aliens is, like, the literal translation. Well, it's like, it's literally, um, like, like, those annoying aliens. Like, Urusei yeah, means, like, too noisy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, so yeah, his girlfriend is stalling to scroll down the cast list. Um, wow, they have her really far down. Shinobu. I should know that because it's Monogatari too. Uh, yeah, Shinobu is his girlfriend. He dumps her immediately for Lum and then spins the rest of the show, mostly trying to get back together with her. But there's also a shrine maiden and one of Lum's best friends and a girl who's being taken care of by a bunch of... Uh, are Tengu the crow people? Tengu are uh, just generally yes. flying. Um, yeah, well, these, these are like little crow. tiny crows in like traditional Japanese garb, and they like mm -hmm. are taking care of like a sleeping beauty princess. And 
Atara at some point like accidentally opens her coffin and so she has to marry him and hates him because he's disgusting and a serial cheater and an asshole and not nice at all. She seems um, clued up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, Oshi directed it from 1981 to 1984. He directed the first two movies. Um, the second movie is really the only thing that's really worth your time. But yeah, so he meets a girl named Elle as a little kid. Uh, and they play the shadow touching game where they run around and try to step on each other's shadows, which I guess I played. I had like a weird, like resurfaced memory from watching them do that. Uh, and then he steps on her shadow and she's like, oh, that means when we're both adults, you have to marry me. And he's like, cool. Uh, and then flash forward 10 years later and she comes and gets him and she's named L. The plant's named L. But it turns out that she like likes to like collect guys and freeze them. And she's got a a uh, like vault of like thousands of frozen guys Classic. and Atari like freaks out and doesn't want that. And they have to like fight her. And then she realizes they have like a, a moment where they realize that actually he cheated at the game and didn't step on her shadow and just told her she did. So they're not married. They're uh, not engaged. And then they go home. That's what? the movie, but it takes like 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I will say there's a lot of really good direction in terms of just like, people going above and beyond for like a crappy cash in movie for a show that was like, it's a Rumiko Takahashi script. And I know Jeff's like a reasonably big Ranma one half booster. Aren't you? I mean, I have nostalgia for Ranma <laughs> one half. I enjoy it. Like I could go back and watch it. Like I've tried going back and watching the first like 10, 15 episodes. And like, I, I liked it well enough, but it's not like, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that it's like a foundational anime that everybody's going to watch. You're not going to watch. You're not going to watch an, an one hour, an hour and a half movie about uh, Ranma one half <laughs> to just say that you did. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, um, uh, Oshimomoro's direction, um, the art designer um, and art director Torao Arai, who never really did anything, has some really amazing stuff. Where like, like the world that she lives on has these like cities that are like built on these giant beanstalks that go out and like have like sprouts in the clouds and there's like a scene where uh ataru steals a spaceship and he's flying around like yeah it's it's very impressive visually but it's uh it's just like i don't i have a lot of anime like experience but i still can't get like the shithead protagonist archetype the space dandy archetype uh that that like defines like a lot of anime especially like 80s and early 90s anime because like i don't know how you're supposed to cheer for ataru and lum to stay together ataru needs therapy lum <laughs> needs to find someone else the end <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i don't i i've gotten to a point in my life where watching people who badly need therapy just fuck each other up is not good unless it's flowers of evil so <laughs> Uh, it, oh, is, is it just like like a basic assumption of masculinity in the way that like, you know, like we have a lot of like toxic things baked into like our Western ideal of masculinity as well? Yeah, I imagine there was a really good Anime News Network article that we've referenced way back when we were talking about Space Dandy um, about how there was like this classic TV show about this like loser guy who like borrowed money from people and never paid it back and hit on every girl he came across. And it kind of like it's just a trope of the culture that it's charming to watch these losers fail and just periodically have like moments of just basic decency. Um, and that both is not my cultural value and has not aged well. So it's very, it's been very weird watching Urusei Yatsura. I mostly watch it for the animation, which sounds like me talking about playboys or something. <laughs> 
look, look, I, I, but, I don't like any of the content. I, I'm just looking at it for the tits. If I, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the opposite of Playboy. <laughs> Lum, Lum is very cute. And there's that classic quote um, that I think is in like the Moe Manifesto, uh, where like the head of Gynex at the time is like, yeah, Lum invented Moe because she's like, she's got the gap charm. Of hmm. She's kind of like a shrew, but she's cute and innocent. And so that's like proto Moe, according to them. Yeah, I will yeah. say that I started watching Ranma in my like you know early teens, and it also has a lot of like love energy. I didn't I think, mean to call so. you out, Jeff. Sorry, <laughs> but that's Explains I mean that's that, that, I, I can't say that isn't part of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like at some point we all got into anime for like a cute female character design and sometimes cute male character designs. So. It's not something that you're allowed to completely disavow, I feel like. I mean, Urusei yep. Yatsura is a classic. Like, it's it's a known, like, beloved anime classic for, for years, so... Yeah, I mean, my main issue is just, like, I don't really understand why it's beloved besides the fact that it's old and was written by a very popular manga author uh, at the time and was directed by someone who became one of anime's, like, greatest directors, I mean, people usually take away Lum more than anybody else. Like, I think the main yeah. protagonist mm-hmm. is never really the highlight of any of these kind of shows. It's mostly the cute. But you girls, spend so but... much time around him. You spend so much time around him, expected to care about his problems, and his problems are entirely self-made. I wonder how much of it is just people just yeah, it's just just people watching it. Like, I could treat her better. I would see you know just yeah, fantasizing yeah. Of, like putting themselves like 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 the opposite of like you know the you know, protagonist or like the, the viewer insertion character. It's like the viewer replacement yeah. character. Like I could do this better. <laughs> Instead of the cipher being an addition, it's a subtraction. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, talking about something that's also old, but better uh, is I'm watching Sailor Moon on Hulu. Although apparently now it's being released like every Friday, 10 episodes are being released for free on the YouTube channel of Sailor Moon. Oh, so really? you can watch it for free. Um, in I watched Japanese this most- or in English. I think that's got like YouTube's like wonky like auto translate subtitles. It's not like it's a very, not like a very linguistically complex anime, (laughs) which sounds like a put down, but like, I don't know. I watched this because um, Steven Universe finally ended with Steven Universe Future, and I was talking with my girlfriend who loves it about how like the three biggest influences it feels like for me on the Steven Universe are Revolutionary Girl Utena, Neon Genesis Evangelion. And most of all, Sailor Moon. And so that's how I tricked my girlfriend into watching (laughs) a 30-year-old anime. Um, But it's actually, I was expecting it to be very tropey because I think when people talk about, say, Madoka, they talk about, oh, it like completely like reinvents the the magical girl formula and it it pokes all the holes in, in the basic assumptions and tropes of magical girl. And so I was expecting Sailor Moon to be like well done, but wrote and kind of unsurprising and i've actually been very impressed it's not like gonna change your life uh it might i don't know the fashion might change your life there's some there's some fire (laughs) styles there uh but just like the characters while they're often designed like tropes like aren't very tropey the twin tails is a clumsy crybaby like the long black-haired kurokami character who's supposed to be mature is a is like petty and vindictive and hot-headed there's like a there's like a very nice like Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like these characters and Usagi's the twin tails. Yeah. So I don't know if it's because it's before these tropes kind of got solidified or if it's purposely just like tweaking at you. And sure, a lot of episodes are that 
some demons from the underground kingdom who are trying to revive this, like, their lord by collecting human energy and later by, like, collecting rainbow crystals so that they can combine all of them into the silver crystal, which will awaken their... It's... That stuff is tropey as fuck. But, like, the individual episodes are are often, like, very structured, very formulaic, especially the first, like, 20 or so of, like, you know... They're going around, something weird's happening because a demon's infiltrated society and is using often, like, the basic mechanisms of capitalism to, like, harvest energy off of people. And they find out, and they fight, and Sailor Moon gives up, and then Tuxedo Mask comes in and throws a rose at her and says, do better, and then leaves, <laughs> and then they defeat the guy. But there's also, like, weird episodes, especially the ones directed by Ikuhara, but everybody, there's very few, like, weak episode directors, I think. Um, because Junichi Sato, um, Yuji Endo, Harume Kosaka are all like fairly important directors in the immediate aftermath of Sailor Moon. Um, and they do weird ones where everyone's getting on a bus that gets teleported to this like zero dimension where they're slowly like trapped on the bus with the energy leaching out. Or where Sailor Moon, uh, as Usagi, as her non-magical counterpart, like meets a pop star who's on the run from a demon woman made of bats who wants to steal his mixtape because it's actually got like secret mind control commands on it. It's very weird and interesting. It's very sympathetic to like how confusing and hard it is to like be a young woman in her of age, like 13 or 14 and make friends. And I've just, I found it really pleasant. It's definitely, it's appropriately replaced Steven universe and adventure time and all that. It's just like, a short show that you can just like watch an episode of and just crush it. And if you can't follow the plot hundred percent, it doesn't matter. There's so much formula that you can definitely see where Ikuhara came from. Every episode barring a scant few always have the full transformation sequence. If there's multiple sailors in this one, multiple transformation sequences and the same stock music comes up again and again to like signal different stuff. It definitely feels like Ikuhara working within this like extremely tight formula and then being like but what if the formula is like really weird and fucked up and then he went on to make utana so is it <laughs> so still the same is it still like a 20 minute episodes was it less than that yeah it's 20 minute episodes i didn't mean to imply that it was like the half the half uh, the half half hour uh episodes that are standard with adventure time or um or steven universe but they go fast because yeah the thing about the formula is, especially if it's not something as incredibly dense as, say, a later Ikuhara work, is that you can kind of, you give yourself mental breaks because you're like, okay, the next 30 seconds are going to be Sailor Moon transforming. <laughs> so I can just like listen to the music and watch images flash and then I can re-engage once the plot's picked up again. Um, and maybe that's just me in a very quarantine mood wanting to like not have to worry or care or anything, but... Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed it and I highly recommend it. And I think anyone who has not watched Sailor Moon because they think it's for young girls or they think it's been superseded by more complex magical girl anime uh, should should watch it. Mm. At least watch. I mean, the first 10 are tough because it's just Sailor Moon and her cat Luna and uh, and uh, Tuxedo Mask shows up to neg her every so often. And that those are all the characters until they until they introduce Sailor Mercury. But then it gets a lot better. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've heard that um, I've heard that it gets better when Mercury comes in. Also, I think I can't remember which one it is, whether it's uh, Usagi or the cat. But one of them is a really 
irritating voice in Japanese, which could get grating, I suppose, if you're... How... Well, it must be the cat, because the because Usagi is voiced by uh, uh, Kotono Mitsuishi of um, What's-Her-Face Misato fame. Right. And okay. <laughs> uh, Misato from Evangelion. So... I have people being like, oh, the English dub is actually really good. I'm like, I am not missing out on on Kotono Mitsuishi doing doing work, doing one of the roles that, that made her so Yeah, defining yeah. career roles, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And there is like and there's like a good like a good dub of the Japanese cut because there like everybody I think is probably well maybe not everybody, but a lot of people have seen the, everybody. the dub that came over here along with like, you know, Dragon <laughs> Ball and stuff like that back in the day and they, you know, took some liberties. Uh, but there is like a new dub with, you know, based on the Japanese cut that is highly yeah. sought out. And so, yeah, if you, people, not, not the dub that came over and like whitewashed all the queer stuff by introducing a fake character named Brad, who the gay couple, one yeah. of the gay couple characters was dating. Um, I love that clip. I might put it in the show notes. <laughs> Brad, the hottest guy in school. That was my first kiss. I love Brad. Have you seen, very no homo. Have you seen, um, you seen oh, what's it called? Car Captain Sakura as well. No, I just won the. No, <laughs> no, it's, 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 that's get... a show for young girls. We're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, <laughs> I just I have I have limited bandwidth for this old for this older stuff. I've had it's been very nice. Like the next one I'm going to talk about, hopefully briefly, because I feel like I've been talking for literal hours. I... I've been talking for twenty minutes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just but... I just wanted to say that like I understand your your. Uh, apprehension for not getting into another long-running magical girl series but actually like when i watched the first episode which was also in an english dub surprisingly i think they redubbed it um but it is actually pretty it's actually really good like it's mad, original madhouse it's got good quality budget it's got really nice animation and mm. uh you know they they do a lot with the budget they have so like you know she has a different outfit she changes her styles all up like it's really good and it similarly has a thing where it came over and they removed a gay uh a lesbian couple and i think <laughs> they also killed they didn't want to kill people as well so they put them into like the dark. oh no it was like the shadow realm, yeah, the shadow realm yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah so there's like all that kind of stuff but it's like it's good, man. I would really think you might get a kick out of it. If you're getting a kick out of uh, out of Sailor Moon, Sailor Moon, there's a lot in Card Captor that is also really good, um, and is also I you know a founding anime for a lot of people. Yeah, I will put it on my list. I have a I I'm trying to like get through my backlog. I'm doing a John. Um, <laughs> you couldn't be here because of a headache, but um, yeah, I'm I'm watching so much anime. After we're done, I'm gonna. I'm gonna yeah watch the next two Seto Kayaku and Domo OVAs finally came out. The show's finally finished airing like 11 years after it started. Nice because <laughs> they like they got they got denied a third core, so they just made like released an, one OVA a year, very Legends of Galactic Heroes style. They just like released OVAs when they could make them. Um, so yeah, I'm watching a lot of anime. It's really good. Uh, does anyone want to guess what my mystery anime is, or have I completely broken your spirits? Can you give us some hints? Uh, can you give us like a um, vague genre? Yeah. Uh, it's sports anime. I Kinda. shoot twenty one. Battle battle anime sports anime. Battle anime. Uh, Ippo. I shoot. No. I shoot twenty one. Prince of Tennis. No, no. Sports was probably deceiving. Uh, I <laughs> have watched the. F oh, Kinikuman. 
Good guess, but no, I'm afraid. Uh, I have been watching Battle Athletes Victory from uh, 1996. Cool. Does anyone know what that uh, that is? Let me go. Seven, no. Sorry. No. Battle what? Battle Athletes Victory, which is the full length series after they made a six episode OVA that's just called Battle Athletes. Um, this Holy is. Shit, ben. <laughs> I'm going to go to bat for it and then I'm going to stab it in the back uh, I don't know how that works in terms of, of metaphors but that's how I'm going to do it um, I mean, I have googling fa- it just comes up with girls in like just sports spats um, very... they're, yeah they're wearing bloomers Andy get over it bloomers whatever <laughs> uh, so uh, battle athletes uh, battle athletes victory takes place in the future where a global climate and economic collapse has nearly destroyed the world. Um, and at the same time they are in contact, humanity became in contact with aliens and it's revealed that like a seat at the galactic table is determined (laughs) by competing in an all female mixed track and field competition. Of course. And so it stars Akari Kanzaki, daughter of the greatest battle athletes victor of all time, at a facility in Antarctica competing with various national and racial caricatures to become the representative who will go into space to train more and then go compete against aliens so that the U- the U.S. not the U.S. fuck, so that the Earth uh, can have a seat at the intergalactic UN. I believe that's that is a that is a summary of the premise. Um, I watched this anime. We were talking about Chiaki <laughs> Coffin Princess beforehand, where I almost watched that anime because of Chiaki's Chiaki's eyebrows. Um, I watched. I downloaded this anime exclusively. Um, because Akari Kanzaki, much like Usagi from Sailor Moon, um, is a huge crybaby and she's a failure and a fuck up. And she's literally the worst person at the entire like of the entire like 255 people uh, at the training facility in terms of all around athletic competency. Um, and whenever she's sad, she produces a cardboard box, the house painted on, on its side that reads uh, Akari's house. And she cries inside of there. And they had clips of that while they played the uh, the hit comedy single "Living in a Box" by the band Living in a Box, and I was like, "This looks like a pretty funny anime," and it is. It's actually pretty funny. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of just like making fun of the stupid premise of like intergalactic politics being determined by a set of arbitrary like athletic competitions. Um, the characters, at least the friendship between Akari. Um, who comes from um, Hokkaido and her best friend scrolling down for character names. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ichino, or called Ichan, uh, who comes from Osaka. And there's plenty of Osaka jokes. Don't worry. Um, is actually pretty sweet. And of course, there's like a terrifying, terrifying Russian and American competitors who are like the number one and number two. Um, it's surprisingly funny there's a the headmaster of the school is named grant old man uh, which is probably not meant to be a joke but it makes me laugh every time they're like they're like old old man don't know it's just like, oh, no. <laughs> um 
so yeah, it's been it's kind of just like it's got a pretty good animation uh, to kind of like try to loop Duncan in or anybody in. Basically, uh, this is the director of the Bubblegum Crisis OVAs, and there's a lot of flair there. I don't think he's actually done anything really really remarkable since then he did giver he did inazuma 11 which i don't even really know what that's about pause for andy knowing what this is about no nope, uh, i think i've watched about. an episode or two but <laughs> directed yes. bastard with two exclamation points so like he he was like a fairly good like well-known guy who i think mostly re- retired to storyboarding in later life he like storyboarded a random episode of working three uh Oh. And he did a bunch of storyboards for Macross. Oh, um, but yeah, it's, it's football anime. Anyway, what anime? It's a football anime, so quite oh. recent. Got a, a game, I think, or two from on 3DS. I think it was pretty popular. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, like, it seems like he was a big deal and just kind of like didn't. He like did, worked on El Hazard and also the character designer worked on El Hazard, which is why Andy, all those characters look fucked up and not real. Uh, Akari has like weird like rabbit ear hair that goes back, yeah. like curves in a perfect arc behind her head. Yeah. Um, you get used to the characters eventually. They remind me a lot of of like that era. It just it feels nice to go back. It's it's it's. But it's surprisingly beautiful because a lot of them are action scenes. There's like an episode where they do a swimming thing. There's an episode where they pull big steamrollers. There's a biking episode. And all of these are like, they're not cheating. There's not lots of like panning over stills while speed lines go in the background. Most of them are fully animated in a way that I wouldn't have appreciated like even five years ago for just like, wow, they're spending a lot of money on this kind of dumb anime. Unfortunately, I cannot <laughs> recommend to the 90s. it to anybody. <laughs> yes. Also, welcome to the 90s. Unfortunately, I can't recommend it to anybody because this anime is super racist. It is so <laughs> racist and to a point that I think probably would have even stood out in the late 90s. Um, the character, the, the one character from Africa comes from Africa. I'm just showing scare quotes. Everyone else gets a country, often even a hometown. Um, what's her face? The, I can't remember her name. Uh... uh Tanya Nadhipipitad uh, comes from comes from Africa. She is a cross between personality wise, a cross between like a young child, a dog, and a monkey. Um, she doesn't understand technology. She runs on all fours a lot of the time. She tries to eat stuff that is not edible. Uh, and there's also a Chinese character who, unfortunately, I think Wong Ling Fa is pretty funny, but there's like a mean edge that comes out that's very classic for right, like Japanese anime, especially like pre, like slightly better relations Chinese characters. It would have been great for our like Chinese character, uh, Chinese girl spotlight. But yeah, she um, she cheats constantly. She does not understand the point of competing if you can't cheat because cheating is part of competing in a sport. Um, she's got tons of money and she uses it to pay her her workers who are all dressed up in like very traditional garb with like the cues and stuff to help her cheat. Um, and she's stupid and mean and it crosses over to mean spirited way too much. And it makes me feel bad to watch this anime because it is so racist to a point where I think that if people are like, Oh, Japanese people aren't racist about Chinese. They're the same race. You could show them this anime and they'd be like, Oh no, <laughs> they are racist about Chinese people. <laughs> well, meanwhile, them saying that 
is also horrifically racist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very, yeah. So it's been a very interesting thing, but she just, they had, a, they were, I just watched the episode where, um, the American competitor like idolizes Akari's mother and, um, basically decides to like beat Akari so bad in a one-on-one, uh, track and field competition to make her quit so that she doesn't have to watch her hero's daughter ruin her name. Um, And she does. And it's actually kind of touching. Like I, I continually like want to be voicing shock here. (laughs) that Like the show is as good as it is considering that it is dated and is dumb and is racist. Uh, But yeah, she goes home and Ichan goes up to, to, to Hokkaido to like get her to come back to Antarctica and she's like I'm not leaving until you come back to uh, until you come back to Antarctica and Akari's like really? That's awesome I never had any friends up here and I'll have you and you'll be living with me and she's like wait that's not that's not what I meant <laughs> I meant that you need to come back not that I'm living with you now um, but then like they have like a good moment where she like this show's really to tough love and she's like she's like look you suck and you're not if 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 sucking is what made you quit then quitting is not the answer like if if you need to like if you if you hate that you suck you need to get better and you're not going to do that hiding out at home and like doing chores around your dead mother's house because her mother's dead now uh and then there's like a slapping thing which i'm gonna gif and give it to y'all and maybe we'll post it to the keyframes facebook page because you know that looping gif of the girls slapping each other in um, Space Runaway Ideon mm-hmm. that, like, we made a lot of fun of? That literally happens. They, like, slap each other for, like, 30 seconds, just back and forth <laughs> while they're crying. Um, and I guess it's meant to be a joke. It's another example of, like, the weirdly mean-spirited humor of the anime. But I, it made me laugh. So, yeah, I'm enjoying myself. Um, That's good. I, I look forward to watch more, and I look forward to... No, I don't look forward to. I mean, the racism's not. You can't. You can't make that shit up. But, uh, but yeah. So that's what I've been watching, and I've been really enjoying it. Looking at battle athletes, real quick. I quite like Chris Christopher, who's. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've met met Chris Chris. Oh no, we have. Who's a, a Granian priestess from the moon? <laughs> yeah, we haven't met them yet. Sorry. We haven't, we haven't met the moon people yet. Oh, apologies um, if I've ruined it. Or, or La, Lahri Feldnut. <laughs> or Mr. Miracle. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's been, it's just, it's funny when you go back and, because it's very easy to fall into what I think of as the Tom Chick hole of like, better, better stuff is made now. There's not that many gems among old stuff and you can just if you haven't heard about it you can write it off and to watch the show that i literally watched because there's a running joke where the main character like hides in a cardboard box to cry um which is funny every fucking time it's the funniest thing <laughs> i've seen in in months um and uh and uh and like find something worthy and something really unworthy too unfortunately but yeah, so that's been my like weird surprise. Sorry, it wasn't more exciting for y'all. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting. Oh, that, that house looks pretty funny. I might check it out just for that too. Yeah, you're also gonna have to <laughs> you're also gonna have to explain who Tom Chick is because I don't think there's enough people who get that, get that reference. Oh, he's a, he's the uh, the host of the Quarter to Three movie podcast on Quarter to Three All Spelled Out dot com. Um, he's me and Duncan and I guess Jeff's like favorite movie podcast person not that we're like listening to a ton of movie podcasts so oh <laughs> uh, yeah i've been a fan of tom chick for a long time 
mostly yeah. for its video yeah, game writing. But yeah, reviewer game reviewers alive. Yeah, yeah. I'm only interested. Uh, my my the only film review I listen to is Mark Kermode. But moving on, talking about stuff that I'm uh, uh, interested in. I'm not to say that I'm dissing quarter to three. I've listened to a few. It's quite good. Uh, <laughs> like, I didn't mean to diss on it. It's good. I know you guys love it. Um, moving on to the thing that I found surprisingly good this season. Um, and I know that no one else is going to watch. Although maybe they will. Um, Princess, Re- Princess Connect Re colon Dive. Um <laughs> <laughs> People were complaining about like the long sentence version of anime titles, and I am I am more than happy to keep long sentence versions of titles versus like random words linked together by random punctuation version of anime titles. Because yeah. I thought Re has like a colon yeah. or a dash or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh. I mean this this anime came into uh, my radar when um, I'm not going to lie, Idolmaster Cinderella Girl Starlight Stage had a cross collaboration with it. And uh, the opening song was really good. (laughs) Uh, Here in the shallow reasons for watching anime podcast. If you want to know how to get people to start watching your your shit show, you get them to fucking do cross collaborations. And it works. Here I am talking about it. (laughs) Um, And then we watched the first episode. And I'm not going to lie. I was... You go in expecting nothing because uh, it's a it's a cross collab. Well, it was a cross collab, uh, and it's already a mobile game done by Psy Games, um, who are the same people who did Uma Musume, which is a game that's never going to come out, and um, Grand Blue, which is also another anime. So, if, if you if you say to me, Andy, e, this is a Psy Games anime, I actually have fairly high expectations because mm. I they throw money at those things. <laughs> and boy oh boy do they throw money at this one and then on top of that just to put the little cherry on the pie um, it's directed by the same director of Konosuba um, which means that it's actually really fucking funny and oh. I'm really enjoying it um, it's a cast of uh, there's this main guy Yuki lands in a uh, fucking isekai world and this girl, Kokoro, uh, finds him and then thinks that he's the, like, saviour of the world. Normal isekai shit. And then uh, the main fun comes from this princess knight girl called Pekorin, um, who's constantly hungry and has a massive appetite. Uh, and they go on, like, weird little sort of adventures. And then now... They're forming a gourmet guild to fight monsters, but also have a home so that they can all live in. Because in this stupid world, if you have a guild, you also get given a house, which is insane. Um, Because you just need like four people and be like, yeah, no, I'm totally a guild. Um, So they... (laughs) Is that like sort of playing on the like the high school club kind of thing where it's like, we got to have five members and that's like the first three episodes? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) like this whole the whole anime is very well done it for a start like you've said it's got a lot of money thrown at it the action when it comes in is absolutely beautiful and they don't miss a beat on making the explosions fantastic and the animation absolutely gorgeous uh, it really does for a show that is based on a you know a mobile phone game i guess the, i guess it's fucking working because it looks gorgeous and um the characters all for like so yuki as the main character doesn't speak or at least like from the first episode he's lost all his memories and it looks like he can't talk 
and then you think like oh that's because he's like a main character and you know protagonist characters don't speak but they actually play on that as a joke so he actually does speak but the things that he says are just like two or three words which are like <laughs> fantastic mushrooms <laughs> it's just like every now and then when he like comes in with a little one word it just blindsides you with how random and funny it is and it's always it's always good it always gets a laugh out of us um and then you got sort of like Kokoro, who's like the main straight-laced uh, girl who's supporting Yuki. And then you got Pekarine, who's like the Genki girl with massive tits who can eat everything. And the main comedy for the first two episodes revolves around her falling for a very obvious trick with two thieves who are like, oh, I've got a stomachache. Can you go grab the medicine? She grabs the medicine, leaving all her belongings behind. And then they take her like super incredible sword that the king gave her or something um and then she then chases them not because they've lot he's got his sword but because they, she hasn't actually given them the stomach medicine that they're actually wanting um and it's just it's just funny it's just really really funny and really well done um and i think if you guys are, are big fans of konosuba um this is konosuba but with a less of a um lewd angle uh-huh Oh, <laughs> but, that's a that's a strong pitch. I don't I don't trust it because <laughs> it, it's. I mean, funny. less loot than Konosuba doesn't really mean it's not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there, Jeff, Jeff unlocked it. There you go. Yeah, the the the, the pecorine, which is also funny because Ipai Peko Peko is like my stomach is empty, so. Pecorino, so she's like the Peko Peko Pecorine, which is like she's the hungry like pecorine summer uh and she constantly gets into eating fights uh eating contests and i've watched four ep three episodes i think and they've all been really really funny um i can't can't state how much i've been enjoying them despite myself and the first episode you know there's like a constant gag with wolves dragging off the main character who's useless and it's it made me laugh and i'm like why is this making me laugh and then after some re some researching some chatting with some mates i'm like oh it's coming from good stock. It's got a really competent yeah. comedy director who knows how to throw like good punches, and then it's got the fucking budget that Konosuba will never have. So it looks mm -hmm. gorgeous, and the animation is fantastic. Yeah. Wait, you don't you don't like the women's bus? Looks like they're being made <laughs> out of like grits. <laughs> the, the insane boobs are just sort of like flop everywhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're they're sitting in like a, a shallow dish that is their that is their top, and they just kind of. Or, in there. or whatever the fuck is up with that cool skirt where it's like you can see all of her legs but you can't get to the top of her ass ever it's insane um <laughs> yeah it's um it's better than that i i don't know it's it's not as funny for sure but it's still good i like there's there's some really great moments like yuki uh there's one girl who's clearly like drugged and is like falling on the ground and then this main protagonist who doesn't know anything just puts an onigiri by her and says, eat up, and then walks away. And it's just like, <laughs> this, if this was any other anime, this would be like the beginning of a plot device that they're clearly trying to aim for because she's drugged. She looks like she's going evil. But no, he just gives her an onigiri and then fucks off. It's good. It's really funny. I can't recommend it enough. As far as like season surprises, this season, this one is the biggest surprise for me. I'm really enjoying it. Well, maybe so, you'll yeah. persuade a few people to uh, watch a few episodes and, yeah. and we'll return yeah. to it on the season start I show. I feel tempted. 
It's worth it. It's really worth it. They even have like, and I was talking to Bids about this. They even have like the Call of Super thumbs up thing, which the main guy does quite a lot. Uh, <laughs> and then, and I'm like, I'm like, is that a Konosuba? Miz was like, that's not really a Konosuba thing. And I'm like, I don't know. The way that they kind of do it at the right times feels like a Konosuba thing. Mm. And then, like, the uh, Kokoro, who's sort of like the straight-laced girl, um, whenever the main protagonist, who she's protecting, inv- invariably becomes like a meat shield and just gets bashed away because he's useless, pulls this excellent, like, reaction face where her mouth, her eyes become wide and her mouth becomes like a cross. And it just gets me every time, just like most of the Call of Super reaction faces. Just gets you every time. It's mm. really well done. It's really, really well done. And I can't quite stay. I don't know how it's going to fold out. I don't imagine it's going to really go anywhere in the 12 episodes I imagine it's got. But for what it's worth, as far as like a comedy and Konosuba not really getting another season in forever, it's worth it. Mm. I think it's really fun. It's interesting that they got the director to to do this because he he hasn't actually done that many series like recently like he he his resume is basically the big ones are school rumble and uh konosuba and there's like not much in between those and nothing since then and and he's just been doing storyboards in between that and he's 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 prolific with with the storyboarding and Mm. the uh the the writing end but he doesn't seem to direct much so they must have given him a (laughs) they must have given the good good gacha money he to direct they they must have and i i mean i haven't i have played started playing the game a little bit but not that much and i guess (laughs) it's worked (laughs) well that was a look that was was an idol master collab and the idol master girls are in that game so i had to see what was happening um um, pathetic (laughs) but um yeah and also like the the cast that they have you know uh the pecorine is mal who's huge like she's in loads and loads of fucking stuff um and that is uh and then i don't know about atsushi abe who's the yuki character but she's he seems to be in a fat load of stuff too like they've got a really good cast of characters and um yeah and, and big hitters it's just uh it's just great that and sort of like tower of god this season um yeah. I think me winners. and John will be having a good uh, chat with you about Tower of God when we get around <laughs> to that. Yes, I look forward to it. Um, I look forward to eating my words slightly on the first episode because I didn't think it was that good. John will not let you live that down. John yeah, will have remembered this. <laughs> I, I still, I still maintain it. it. Yeah, I still maintain it. <laughs> but yeah. Well, speaking also of pleasant surprises, although this is a pleasant surprise of last season, uh, Duncan, do you want to chat a little bit about the first core of a certain scientific railgun tea being yeah. over? Although there's still like a one more episode to go. Yeah, because right? like I, I was, t- I was expecting this to be the finale, but it does look like there it's going to be a, a one, one more. But they've got to have an episode where where Toma has to hug Misaki back into into wellness. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's weird when you were just, uh, talking about Ursa Yatsu uh, earlier. That that was making me think of Toma and uh, <laughs> and Misako and him constantly he being this dumbass and her constantly shocking him, which maybe is a a trope they they've borrowed from there. Right. But um, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, I thought Toma died. If I remember no. correctly. 
Well, well this is first it, of all, this takes place in, during the season of uh, a certain magical index two uh, chronologically, and third, and second, and third, and fourth, and fifth. Um, they can't kill Toma. He's the reason that everyone apparently watches this dumb show. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's talk about the actual reason we watch this dumb show, though, Ben, which is the uh, fantastic uh, Tomi Arai and uh, her uh, wonderful on-screen... National treasure, yeah, Satomi Arai. <laughs> she had to, like, so... Her, her they, they did such a smart job of having her do the re, the like the recap because technically this episode thirteen, the one we're talking about, is the first episode of the second core of the this season of a certain scientific railgun. Um, but just like hearing her talk in her like weird little old lady voice um, <laughs> that I'm sure has some re- regional flourishes that I can't pick up because I'm not I'm the opposite of a of a Japanese speaker. So yeah, yeah. you were saying that you really enjoyed her in this episode. Why don't you give us some greatest hits? It's just like, they actually gave her a bit of range this episode. Cause normally she's, she's just played up as like very, very, very horny indeed. And very high pitched and horny and just completely over, um, Saka all the time. And, and t- talking in that that very distinct voice, I used to lecture people and and that, and that actually gave her a bit of um, an episode to like they've been consistently do- doing the season again and again, just giving uh, them a chance to be smart to, and to mm-hmm. uh, uh, work out how like so the the whole oh, whole um, thing which is good about Railka railgun when it's good is the idea of people fighting using interesting abilities in interesting mm-hmm. ways just just same thing as as jojo's at its best from the way people like andy and john describe it to me it's yeah, it's, it's, right. our, it's, it's our jojo's i think essentially in in the end it's we 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 really enjoy its uh, particular cast and we and their comradeship and we really enjoy the the, the battles when they're good and Except there's no there's no dog that jumps on people's faces and farts. Oh yeah, that's right. I also watched the second half of Stardust Crusaders. I'm not going to talk about it. Um, yeah, there's no there's no like fart jokes or butthole jokes or anything in a certain scientific railgun tea. And call me a square, but I think it's better. I think it's better for it. How dare yeah. you besmirch Iggy, you square? He died so that we could live. He only wanted what was it? A bitch to fuck or something like that. He said at the end, and some and some chocolate and some ways like co- coffee bubble gum. Right, is his like favorite dish. Which just made we're not talking worse. about this, Duncan. We are because that's why it's great. <laughs> no, it's not. You're listing all the bad things, but yeah, it is. It is like watching because often they'll set up characters and then they'll give you the parameters of their abilities, and then you get to watch over two or three episodes those abilities be pushed to the very limits. I was gonna. Until, like, the last few minutes of the 13th episode, I was going to come on mad about how, like, uh, the mental out girl is, like, Shokuho or whatever. Yeah. I was going to be mad because I, th- I, c- I thought she got beaten way too easily. But no, they, like, they had a wrinkle that I didn't see coming because I um, because I felt like I understood the tropes, kind of going back to what I was saying about Sailor Moon and being like, oh, I know how this trope is going to end. Um, like, this is kind of disappointing. I thought that this character was doing more. And then... Like, it surprised me, and it always, it like, even the thing that I really praise, I think it's episode five or so, the fight with, like, 
the the haughty upper class girl yeah. and her two like minions is a probably one of the best fights in the show and it's like three like two level threes and level four fighting it out um with their like extremely specific like oh my special power is i can take away the weight of things and my special power <laughs> is i can control around was it like three or four gallons of water at one time? And yeah, it's just like watch these people be really clever with these often very limited powers. And then of course, against that you have Misaka who is in a level five. So basically unlimited power, although um, she's likable. So it doesn't bother me. And Toma whose power cancels everyone's power because Toma sucks. And yeah, Toma, he does. But I, I mean, I do like that in sort of, shonen anime are these animes where these side characters get a lot of air time um, yeah like I really like it's something that doesn't happen it's something that that can only really happen in like a two core anime mm. season mm. yeah like I mean, 24 to 26 episodes I mean this is a similar thing with like My Hero Academia which I'm like starting to finish off like they recently had an arc which had a lot of um, one of the side characters um, sort of like constant like who really is so, like the joke was, was that his power is very similar to another person's power, um, and you don't really think much of him as sort of like an odd joke character. But actually, he's come into the fore and he's really strong, and he's like mm. he's you really get an impression of his backstory and sort of like depths that you don't really get with these odd side characters. And I really enjoyed that up for that exact reason. Um, so mm, yeah, yeah, it's nice when that stuff um, happens on the occasion. Um, it's also nice when stuff changes your expectations and sort yeah. of yeah, yeah. Rogan's done that well. It yeah, yeah, I think so. Like in this episode, um, the like climatic fight scene for Kuroko is is basically she's a teleporter and she's fighting someone else, and so the other person's gone in this really cramped enclosed space to limit her movements, and and so oh, the assumption is okay she's she's not going to be able to dodge so i know where she'll dodge to and so i can just mm-hmm. force her to react and then she only has one teleport she only has one teleport and there's only really one place that she can teleport so i'll throw a knife at her and then when she teleports with a knife i'll throw a second knife where she is yeah and yeah instead she just takes takes the hit of the knife in her arm and yeah. then right hooks her <laughs> it was just the cl- the classic anime fiction that you can just like put your hand up and a knife will go through it and stop and not like go and then you won't pro- promptly be on the ground vomiting in pain from having a knife go through your hand but nevertheless it was like a great moment for that particular character to uh, to actually be properly badass after being a, a, a joke a lot of the time and and like f- uh, was, the one gripe I did have is it, it was that uh, thing which pops up occasionally in a lot of action shows is that they did darken the animation in in some of the, the fight sequence and it's it's really frustrating when that happens. I know it happens for good reasons around um, uh, epilepsy. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's still to for, to just basically like there be a dark filter over everything just kind of feels i feel sad for the animator who's done this really this great take of this roundhouse kick connecting and this person being disorientated and the head sort of like swirling around and then and then she teleports yeah and 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 uses the momentum so she can drop kick her yeah Yeah, oh it's it's lovely i like kuroko like as a character like 
it's very weird. This is, a, I think, the Stockholm syndrome, we of, Stockholm syndrome we often exhibit in anime. Speaking of, like, battle athletes' victory and, like, <laughs> extremely racist char- characters of, like, Kroko's a serial molester. <laughs> like, <laughs> un- unfortunately, she has... She is a serial molester where she, like, grabs Misaka's boobs and sneaks into her bed and sniffs her panties and all the stuff that's just, like, yeesh. But also, when she's not doing that, I like her that she is, like, this like kind of like professional slightly haughty very together character Mm. um who like cares about people and gets shit done and like that tension is the tension of a lot of enjoying anime in my experience yeah and just like satin flipping uihara's skirt which is another running joke and yeah it's mercifully been kind of rare in in this season it does seem to have been Um, in somewhat uh, abandoned thankfully they they got a nice every other every other episode of her flipping the skirt to like check what color panties she has uh was a running joke (laughs) especially in the first season they got a nice moment this time being with with um like they're they're, they're the um the the two they're basically two unpowered individuals in a a city of superheroes and like for them to to be like the people who crack the 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 mystery and and for it then to just like <laughs> cut back to them just mid mid like this dramatic yeah. finale and 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 them just like how just like being in sitting down with a big smirk on her face and being sort of like fanned by uh, <laughs> yeah she has like um, a she has like a melty mouth which John would hate but like she's just kind of like because <laughs> she's just like hacked into a She's hacked into one drone out of like 3,000 in the city. Um, she's managed to find the one drone she needs to hack and gotten into it. And yeah, Uiharo. I don't, I don't want to... Uiharo does have a power, Duncan. Do you remember what her power is? I can't remember. Sorry. Uh, she can keep plants from wilting if she's... Touch- she can keep things warm and keep plants from wilting if they're physically touching her. That's why she has the flowers on her head. Oh, okay. Because she just like weaves them into her hair and they never wilt because that's her like... That's her crappy magic power <laughs> that she has. Um, and she like... They reveal it because I think it's near the end of the first season. She's got a box of donuts like, oh wow, these are so warm. She's like, yeah, that's my power. I can keep like food fresh or uh, flowers like from wilting. It's a, I mean, it's a pretty nice power if you weren't in a battle shonen. Uh, well, like, take, so. like, you imagine if you take that power up to, like, level five, you've got someone who basically stops things dying. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe maybe yeah. It's, maybe she's the ultimate. Oh, God. I hope, no, I hope that she doesn't, like, ascend. I like, th- I like her being... I like Uharu being, like, good at technology and being very loyal. And I like Satin's ability <laughs> being that she's, like, w- always, always down for a fight and that she's like really into conspiracy theories and not in the sad way that being really into conspiracy theories has become in yeah, this day and age. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, she's she's like X Files era. I want to believe like yeah, just enjoys like, the myth. Have you heard of like Have you heard of like Obsidian Matter? And they're like, oh, what's that? And she's like, oh, it's a rumor on the internet forums. And it's not <laughs> about how like COVID was was made by Bill Gates to uh, get everyone microchipped. <laughs> <sighs> so, speaking of needing a refuge from, I mean, talking uh, that about sort of shit, really, quick, uh, really quickly when you're talking about that one pervy guy flipping skirts, that's why I jumped, jumped, couldn't get on board with Seven Deadly Sins because that main guy. It's a girl. It's a girl, but yes, Andy. <laughs> well, whatever. Name put a character flipping that makes skirts. it okay. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, I don't think like, it's okay. The the main guy like constantly is a perv, and it's just like he occasionally will do good stuff, and then he'll go back to flipping skirts. And you're like, oh yeah, no, he's a piece of shit. 
And then you uh, just sounds can... like sounds like Urusei Yatsura. <laughs> sounds like Kazuma. <laughs> uh... So me and Andy are going to have a very quick talk. I think about a, a golden oldie, which is everyone's favorite. Mm. No, definitely not my favorite uh, really? Ghibli. But, so you do but not like there. Kiki's Delivery Service. Dan. I do. I do like it. I just like. I just like Porco Rosso more. <laughs> mm, they're, of, they're of an era, definitely. But yeah, Kiki's Delivery Service, Andy. Go. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't on board with uh, Porco Rosso when I first watched it. I didn't think it was that good, but I found Kiki. I found Kiki absolutely delightful. It had charm. It had character. It had uh, everything that you could possibly look for in this sort of. I need in this sort of current climate of everything being incredibly stressful. Mm. You just transported back to this. Is she thirteen or sixteen? I can't really remember. I think it's, but... I think it's thirteen. It's like going. <clears throat> it's like going away from home very early and just like in. It's it's like the beginning of of uh, that transition to adulthood yeah. and and it's it's so well it's so incredibly well-meaning that the entire <laughs> film like it could be saccharine but it, it just about manages it 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 makes her this incredibly kind nice girl but then it also has people just thinking she's a bit weird and <laughs> looking at her strange and like taking advantage of her to a certain extent and yeah i mean if if we i mean we got to explain the show real quick to anyone who hasn't sure. seen this anime it's about a girl called kiki who we're is, trying to do better about that yeah who who uh, who, uh, who lives in a coven of witches who can fly and do magic and shit um and uh she, at the age of 13 uh as she is been promised to do even though it's a very antiquated rule by this point which i found quite interesting um she flies off to find her mm -hmm. own little sort of corner of the world where she can set up shop and become an important magician of renown a witch of renown so she flies off to the <laughs> modern city uh yeah Come back i think to that's that. well, okay fine but she <laughs> flies off she she flies off finds herself in this big modern city where there's you know cars electricity modern technology or modern to the point to that time it's sort of set in i guess about the 70s-ish so it's sort of like there's phones there's cars there's a basic electricity but nothing like tv but there is radio it's, it's very post-war i think um yeah um, it's it's zeppelins and and this sort of like first era of um it's it's i think i've read somewhere it's set in an alternate uh, post-war uh sweden uh specifically i think stockholm but i, I could imagine that the germanic the germanic influences are really high like looking at all well, the way that yeah. the, the houses are built and especially yeah. like so I mean, basically Scandi, but yeah same difference yeah yeah not same um, difference <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. We need to, we need to keep moving. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. So what happens is she she comes to a big city. Uh, she befriends um, a bread shop owner, and then sets up shop doing the only thing that she's good at, which is flying and delivering packages. And she delivers packages <laughs> in very low, like very very low peril. And then her love interest gets caught in a blimp. She gets she saves him. And yeah. uh, and then that's it, really. It's a it's so, a very uh, sort of like low stakes yeah. film, but so fucking charming. Yeah, like, there's two things from just from your description which I I, I I I like, which is a part of what I like about it. One, Kiki is not good at flying. 
Kiki is constantly not. crashing into trees and into houses, and like her her take off of it, it turns out her her mum has put bells in the trees around yeah. and yeah. and their village so that she can tell when where and when Kiki has crashed into something, and I love that as a, a little little detail, and yeah, that. Like- that when she her first leaving, it's sort of like it's bittersweet, it's heartfelt, and then you hear the bang, the bell ring, bang a bell ring, and then even then it sort of lingers on that shot as you hear a few more bell rings. It's just it's very well timed, very well done. Yeah, uh, and I, I think the, the the one thing in which about your description, I I disagree with. I don't think she goes out looking for fame. I think there's a very much a an idea of witches going and giving. Uh, Sort of like the idea of of serving com- a community, being yeah, um, right. like finding a home where you can do good and help the people around yeah. you, and, and like that's that's a real fucking wholesome thing to to yeah. just like have now. Yes, I agree. You're, you're correct in that it's not fame. It's sort of like she wants to be part of a community and she wants to be respected and beloved within the community. Um, and it is funny also how you mentioned the. Uh, sort of how she's not good at flying because there is also a bit where she loses her faith in her ability to fly uh, mm. which then she goes to her only friend which is a woman who lives in the woods who paints um and i you know like it's all it, it feels kind of scattershot sometimes the story but it somehow comes together in like a really like wholesome sort of story arc in a way yeah it's another ad- adaptation i think so i it's probably yeah. there were probably certain characters from the original they wanted to fit in, and that maybe explains some of these the um, the side dalliances, which don't necessarily drag the story forward, but do hit upon interesting beats in her personal growth. But yeah, it's just it's just a, a, a wonderful looking um, and very comforting, very well paced hour and 40 minutes of your time which will just fly by and you'll feel better for and yeah. plus it's it's got a a great black cat in in gg which is just like mm-hmm. this this classic sort of like scandi <laughs> style and anime cat with just like these big pointy ears and this thin body and legs and just like has like lovely animation of him just padding around and sort of like th- that way cats have been like sort of sort of cautious of putting their their paws down almost at times and like yeah mm-hmm. I, I i just it's i like yeah. i like gg's animation a lot and like he, the, the little subplot of him sort of abandoning her for a for a while after he runs off with a, a pretty the city posh. cat and, and her being like <laughs> you're supposed to be my familiar but you're you're t- more interested in your girlfriend now and he's like yeah <laughs> Yeah, and, and then also she she stops being able to commune with him. Um, yeah, yeah, it's which is which is still not changed at the end of the novel and which at the end of the movie, which kind of makes it bittersweet. Of like, there are some things that she may have left behind. It's not clear. Yeah, uh, I, I, and bittersweet. It's bittersweet and wholesome and absolutely lovely. And I, I really, I hadn't seen it. Um, this was the first really? time I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. Yeah, I've not seen a lot of Ghibli. Uh, my can you, Ghibli. yeah, can you list the other ones you haven't seen? Don't say Ponyo. I don't uh, care about Ponyo. <laughs> sorry, you said the ones I haven't seen or the ones I have seen. Yeah, I know you have seen Ponyo. I said don't bring up Ponyo. Yeah, no, no. Wait, I'm saying the ones that I have seen or the ones I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. 
have seen either. Okay. It, it's it's the same answer, Andy. Right? Okay. The it's, the, it's 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 Pam from the Office of the Two Pictures. The ones I've seen. I mean, I, I think I've seen. I've seen. You know, mentioned Ponyo. Uh, I've seen the Red Turtle, which is, I guess, this last thing that they've done. Um, I've seen uh, Princess Mononoke. Uh, I think I've seen not Wisp of the Heart, but the cat, the blue cat returns. I've seen. This is called the cat returns. Yeah. Oh, sorry, the cat returns. Um, I've seen uh, that other one, uh, the <laughs> Castle in the Sky, and then um, Norsica Valley of the Winds. Mm. But I don't think you've I've seen, seen Kagura as well, one. haven't you? I've seen Kagura. Well, yeah. Uh, I think I think we were informally just doing just doing a Miyazaki and not yeah. Yeah, and, that, and, uh, and then I've seen, and then I think that's it. Oh, and and obviously Spirited Away, but but like, I've not seen House. Not that's the big one that I've not seen. I've seen Porco Rosso as well, which I didn't enjoy. But uh, like you know, that so I've not seen a lot. Like there's still quite a few big gaps. I feel mm. like House, Moving Castle. Well, that's that's nice. I mean, they're never like even the worst Miyazaki movie is not usually a waste of your time. So so yeah. I mean, what what I like about Porco Rosso is the thing that I also. Uh, like about uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, where you're just seeing just like a hard week in some or a hard month in someone's life, and they like work through it and get past it, and maybe and maybe things are better, maybe things never get as good again. You don't really know. There's like the beautiful thing in Porcarosas when we think that like people keep getting glimpses of him as a human again mm. and you're like is he turning back to human or is this just something that happens when he when he's got a particularly like noble or a kind state of mind and you don't know and then like the end of the movie is just like yeah we never saw marco again after that um and the same way of like having kiki's delivery service like she's got her witch powers back and she's like kind of rebuilt her place in the community but at the same time like she's lost her familiar and i think she has a sense that she needs to move on in her life from where she was, even though it was comfortable. That's there's a Patrick H. Willems video essay that I'll link that has a lot of like the healing aspects of Kiki's delivery service mm. in that regard. Yeah, it's def- definitely a healing anime, and yeah, slowly recommended at this time. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, anything else? Or are we moving on? <laughs> no, I think we should take a break and then come back to talk about uh, kaiju. And I'm sure editor will put in like. Go go Godzilla for the for the uh, the middle music. <laughs> no, oh, oh, too trite. Do you want to do something a bit more obscure? All right. Well, see you on a bit. promised we will be covering our spotlight topic for the Fortnite. this time it is kaiju literally a japanese word that means strange beast but usually translated as monster or giant monster in english um to just give it a kind of background uh Kaiju traditionally referred to any sort of strange or bizarre creature, um, but has been associated with a genre of originally tokusatsu entertainment, like live-action special effects entertainment um, involving giant monsters. 
Uh, they're typically modeled on real animals, mythological animals, sometimes plants. Um, there is a lot of different thinking and different works about the morality of kaiju, um, whether they're just like unthinking monsters, almost zombies or Frankensteins that just destroy as a way of interacting with the world, um, while sometimes they are villains deliberately trying to make humanity suffer, or heroes, as happened later in the uh, in the Godzilla series, protecting uh, people against greater monsters. Uh, I'm going to quickly, before we go over to what y'all are talking about, because I have a few, not as many as I was hoping, but definitely a few, um, a quote from the director of the first eight Godzilla movies, cool. Ishiro Honda, uh, had this, uh, this quote, uh, monsters, kaiju, are tragic beings. They are born too tall, too strong, too heavy. They are not evil by choice. That is their tragedy. They do not attack people because they want to. But because of their size and strength, mankind has no other choice but to def defend itself. After several stories about this, people end up having a kind of affection for the monsters. They end up caring about them. So, Duncan, I know that you have wrestled mightily with the prospect of this topic. Yeah. Uh, do you want to lay your thoughts out in terms of definition yeah. or I mean, what your thought process was? The th first thing is, like, as you say, like, the first thing... Like people say kaiju, most people reply Godzilla, and yeah. like when I th think about Godzilla, like there's the 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 essence of what that film boils down to is you have a giant monster acting as basically an, a natural disaster, crashing against a, a relatively helpless um, civilian and uh, military presence, and just not really being something you can fight back against. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like at some point that changed and we started having kaiju fighting battle robots more and more and that we lost the the the, the sort of darker take on them of these um, very impossible impossibly powerful things to these things which were just antagonists and i don't know when exactly that happened but as you say it's probably probably rooted in just how the the how the live action uh, tv series these tokusatsu yeah uh, took off and was then further sort of codified by everything which followed in particularly in anime and anime seems to have decided that if you're going to have a giant monster that's an excuse to have uh, giant robots or magical girls yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> or, or maybe magical girls in giant robots who knows maybe and can, can i ask real quick duncan um did you read the the article that i sent you uh panic sites i didn't have a chance i'm afraid um, I'm glad because I don't think it's very, very, uh, very useful ultimately for what we're going to discuss. I was disappointed by her. She usually doesn't let me down like this. I have um, read a, she another one of hers, which will come up <laughs> later. <laughs> but I do like she does say it's generational in terms of that, that the shift that you're describing mm -hmm. from the generation that can remember the atomic bomb mm. to a generation that cannot and 
kaiju and giant robots are like differing metaphors for the the burdens and consequences of technological progress mm-hmm. yeah because um, you were saying that the like godzilla was kind of like originally a natural disaster but it was specifically a natural disaster wrought by awakened man's yeah. hubris and mistakes and things like that like that was always sort of a very important aspect of it is that it's it's sort of a you know they're sort of like a natural comeuppance from the world as a result of man's actions. And then that slowly shifted yeah. to the world is attacking us for no reason. We have to fight it, fight back <laughs> with more technology. <laughs> yes. Often with technology, we'll probably discuss this when we talk about Evangelion, which I'm sure is on everyone's yeah. list. Yeah. Uh, but often with technology derived from the same technology that created the monsters yeah. themselves. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, a, a, the aliens becoming a, a more and more common fo- foe and it shifting from being the natural world assaulting us to um, the, the unknown assaulting us and then then to either uh, sort of like finalizing it with just saying, you know what, you... You're the damn problem, <laughs> and just just sort of like leaving it at, at that. And I think like in my search to try and find films which are closer to the Godzilla take to to just have these monsters which are not there to be be fought, but are just impossible to be defeated, which are to just be have been provoked and now you just have to deal with that shit um i ended up in at with two incredibly well-known films but ones which i'm not sure people will necessarily think are kaiju films but i'm going to try and make the case that they are first of, of which <laughs> is um akira which um andy sort of slightly shit I, uh, andy suggested i'm not sure how much shit posting the and how much seriously but someone described to me it to me as basically uh, a load of um bureaucrats trying to control all a godlike monster that feels very real to what and that monster itself being like the very real um comeuppance of um mankind's um desire for progress and yeah akira mm-hmm. uh, as a film has a has it's probably main theme is this idea of that the universe is constantly developing and evolving and progressing but there is progress that has a a grounding in society in uh who it serves and how it uh is a grounding in people almost like in the way like like the characters in Akira who uh, end up being able to control their powers are the ones who have uh, rely on others and work together. And the character mm-hmm. whose powers mm-hmm. runs wild and rampant are the ones who are using it for selfish reasons, who are just obsessed with that power and who that power overtakes. There's no way that um, Otomo uh, doesn't have a, <laughs> a complete and utter contempt for a modern capitalist <laughs> um, uh, consumerism because like it's the kaiju as like this consequence of human greed for power and greed for more and mm-hmm. yeah I, I think like it's um, it's weirdly um, 
weirdly pure in that. And I don't know if you guys just think that's just complete nonsense because it's just no, a... no, no. I, 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 I do think. I think you've you've actually the uh, you got a point there. Like, I think the big difference between uh, like, I mean, it's definitely you know mankind reckoning with you know doing things and going places it wasn't meant to do. And I think especially in Akira, there is you know the, the fact that all of the monsters are also children and. Uh, Tetsuo especially is, you know, he is by all accounts, you know, a product of a failed system as well as a product of a failed, like, you know... Yeah, he's an orphan. He's, he's and, separated yeah. from his family. And he's, like, this alone. He's, he's, he's the outside. And, you know, part of the reason why he goes nuts is because he's been in that situation. You know, he's been raised in this environment to be, you know, incapable of having this amount of power and using it in a way that is beneficial to anybody because he's been forced to live alone and be isolated and alienated from, you know, even his friends who, you know, can't rely on him because they think he's weak and everything else. And that, you know, completely overtakes him and, just, you know, ends up destroying Neo New Tokyo. I can't remember what they, what they call it in, in Akira. Is, is that, it's, is it's, that just, it's just Neo Tokyo. It's Neo Tokyo. Okay, That's all. that is Neo Tokyo. Not the original, but it is one of those. And I do think it's also interesting that that Tetsuo represents the repetition of a folly of a of a a kaiju-like event that they've already experienced with the titular Akira. Mm -hmm. Like, this is several years later after Tokyo turned into a, a crater uh, because of the experiments on Akira and started the Third World War, and here we are later, and they're still fucking experimenting on the kids. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, it really is um, the, uh, the Susan Napier article, which I believe is titled Panic Sites, um, really does focus on just like it's really pessimistic about the ability of like our authority structures to cope with events that they cannot <laughs> yep. control in a very like not like control like out of there but like like unless they can dominate something they simply just don't have a contingency for it and man does that feel timely <laughs> so, uh, yeah so Kira I think is really is really well observed even though like the the monsters are are absent off for a, for a big chunk of the movie are absent off to either side of the mm. of the, the the fictional framing with Akira already being gone and in, in some ways kind of having transcended to Godhead yeah. and mm -hmm. Tetsuo only really revealing the extent of his like monstrosity by the end of the movie yeah. when I he fights with Canada and they shoot a satellite at him yeah, yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you guys um, the have I know some of you I don't uh, have watched uh, Shin Godzilla and that's mm -hmm. from what I've heard about that um which it has a lot of the same sort of preoccupations with um the sort of bureaucratic and the um societal in inability to cope with uh the these unprecedented events and stuff mm -hmm. yeah, it, yeah like Shin Godzilla uh directed by Anno, you know, friend of the pod. Uh, it's, <laughs> I uh, wish. God, I wish. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, basically a direct uh, response to the Fukushima disaster. And if you, you know, if, if it had been filmed like a comedy, it almost would have been something like in the thick of it. Where it's the whole thing is just the oh I'd watch you know, that like, I'd watch <laughs> but like like yeah oh, it's like oh. the government's like complete inability to you know shift directions and face 
you know, a, a, a problem that's moving too quickly and is, you know, too big for it to control. And, you know, eventually it comes down to, you know, we got to cleave through all the red tape and then, you know, all the, the they, they they listen to the smart people and solve the problem and you know you could take from that what you will uh i think it's a slightly reactive you know a reactionary movie at the end of the day but i mean i think that that's actually giant like disaster movies in general and giant like monster disaster movies in particular do either fall into the apocalyptic or the reactionary because mm-hmm. i don't think yeah. i don't think that there Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think um, that there is a there is a, a a giant monster movie where the solution is like grassroots community organizing and better <laughs> better progressive and socialist policies. It's either it's either this this society stays uh, is protected or this society is destroyed. It's a it's mm-hmm. a crisis point um, for these, uh, and it's kind of antithetical to like the slow community building grassroots based politics that are like non reactionary politics. Mm. <laughs> I, I was just, I was taken away thinking, thinking of just like, if we give everyone UBI, then we'll be able to weather this, this, yeah. this, this giant monster stomping around the downtown. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's almost kind of a conservative fantasy of the things that will destroy your society being a monster that you can shoot guns at, which is why, yeah. And everything yeah. from from the first Godzilla to fucking Neon Genesis Evangelion, there's always the opening of just the military just lining up 50 tanks and shooting a bunch of shells at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. even now in this like coronavirus uh, <laughs> pandemic, you have people lining up in front of state buildings with guns saying, you know, make the coronavirus thing not a thing anymore. <laughs> while, the blue ra- while, the, while the blue angels fly over New York. Yeah. So... <laughs> So yeah, there is like I, I do think that it is just the fantasy of of a challenge that like no society can be can be prepared for it unless it's like mm-hmm. the whole the old so I'm gonna go into like really like Star Wars Legends territory here, but the idea that the Emperor was building the Death Star to blow up the Yuzang Vong, which are these like weird aliens from outside the galaxy with world ships. It's like <laughs> unless you have something that's a completely irrational response to a black swan event, there's no way to stop like a giant lizard walking out of the ocean and just walking, like <laughs> tearing a path through your capital city. Mm-hmm. And so it is this kind of this idea. I don't know. Like I keep saying anxiety, but I think that it's, it's important to like note that there are like multiple different types of anxiety being expressed by, by giant robot. And I think that the shift that Duncan describes of monsters from nature to monsters versus giant robots to monsters from space versus giant robots is kind of this this progression um, of trying to take the enemies of giant robot anime and make them more incomprehensible to make the giant robots victory over them look more impressive. Um, And then we often have this kind of interleaving effect where the challenge of getting in a a big man suit and beating up some scary weird thing you've never seen before is a metaphor for adolescence as an (laughs) Evangelion. If I'm not like, I mean, there's the whole, uh, Susan Napier's got a great article about that in her like book. Uh, uh, it's on my bookshelf, but I have to turn away from the mic to look at it. It's like anime from from uh, Akira to. Yep, there we go. <laughs> How'd you like that book, Duncan? <laughs> it has a, a very good article on a film called uh, Princess Monoke, which is the yes, other film yes. I wanted to quickly talk about before we move off. Like, what is kaiju? Wait. 
Quickly tell us what that book is, Duncan. What's the title? Oh, sorry. So this is Anime from Akira to Howl's Moving Castle, Experiencing Contemporary Japanese Animation by Susan J. Napier. Updated It's a edition. collection of like nine, so nine essays or so. A to H. They don't do the rest of the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> it's chronological, Andy. That was very funny. <laughs> it was actually, the original edition was uh, from Akira to Princess Mononoke, and then she released a new edition and just changed the title to Howl's Moving Castle because that was like the latest Miyazaki movie that had come out at the time. <laughs> anyway. mark, marking, marking Time by Miyazaki, yeah. which will be our podcast title. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Princess Mononoke, which I wanted to speak about because that's an entire film of people fighting giant beasts and which ends with a basically a almost a sentient landslide crashing across a landscape killing everything it touches and like if you want a film which is about progress versus nature and like yeah the... and grassroots community building <laughs> <laughs> actually jeff yes yeah you yeah, got me you got me good job jeff it's <laughs> the only progressive kaiju movie <laughs> it generally is i'm afraid jeff and um, let's go there um so princess monoki is like one of the the thing like Akira and a lot of these films, films, they push back against the idea of unrestrained progress, of the idea that, okay, progress is man imposing themselves on the natural world. But, and Princess Mononoke on, on the surface has that as well. You've got this, you've got Iron Town, this, this place where people are smelting guns and iron from the land and driving all the, the spirits back and it's it's visually it's it's a desecration and like it's very it's made sure that at first your sympathy is very much with with the land which is being um exploited but it's not as simple as that because what's happening is progress is lifting up the women of the and the sick and the poor and all these lusting backs to a bucolic Eden forget what exactly how much progress has helped people overcome what were systemic things in society like how women have far far more or of a role in society now being able to work and uh, have in- lives independent of their families and uh, an expectation just to raise children. Like, this is this was like a, a little thing, but this, I, you've got a, a town with with no kids in. And like, that was, that's a really weird thing, like for, especially for a Ghibli mm-hmm. film. Like, there's, these, these are women who are defined by their work, not by their sexuality or by having kids but by their work and like that's genuinely a, a, prog- a progressive thing and like you've got the the left like a, a like lady yoboshi the 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 leader is like smart competent and her her one sin as it were is to find herself in the debt of the uh, authorities on the outside of town who basically call call in a, a favor to get her to kill this this god beast uh the night walker who is like this massive 
like hundreds of foot tall god beast for no, no, there's no better word for him and uh-huh. and like yeah it's it's like this strange thing that okay yeah maybe society is and progress is trampling on the natural world and we are losing our a connection to that but we are gaining things from that and that loss and and gain is not something you can balance easily and dismiss there's nothing i don't know if it's 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 the way my generation thought or but there's nothing like more upper middle class upper class than taking a gap year and going off to somewhere exotic and like uh-huh. i i think like there's this idea that nature is something that you can't necessarily always afford and, and we wish we we could but we've had to make certain sacrifices with it to get to where we are now and and the question like facing us going forward is how do we manage those those sacrifices and come in a way where people's lives do get better but we don't completely destroy the place we came from and which um it's a film of kaiju. It's a film of these manifestations of nature literally crashing themselves against the, the walls of progress. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, there we are. The, the one progressive kaiju film. Screw you, Ben. <laughs> hey, sometimes in this podcast you make big statements because they sound good and then you're wrong later and you just got to roll with that. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> but yeah, like... I, I do think that Mononoke is a really good example, and it does it does it does show that like I think the ka- kaiju question is most interesting when it's at its most macroscopic or microscopic level. We have like this macroscopic idea of people existing in ca- confluence with nat- natural world, and the other essay, another of the essays in, in Napier's book, um, talks about like the kaiju as the threat of like unknown the unknowns of adulthood and the giant robot is literally literally the the body of an adult that the young boy dresses into and it's made of those unknowns fundamentally um and sometimes it goes into beast mode and and eats those unknowns um and yeah like i don't think anything there's a couple I'll bring up later that gets close, but I don't think there's anything quite like Evangelion in terms of just like weird monsters and who knows what the fuck they want. And there was a long <laughs> joke. Um, there was a radio, a, a, a comedy uh, like drama CD uh, play thing. Andy probably knows what those are formally called, but like you, you can get like a CD that's got all the voice actors from the anime like doing skits oh, and stuff. Drama CDs. Yeah, drama CDs. They have one called Evangelion After the End, um, where its main joke, besides the fact that Ray talks a lot, which is actually the main joke, um, the other is that they have the first angel explain who the angels are and why they're coming to Earth <laughs> and what they want to get there. <laughs> um, and it's so funny how that deflates the majesty of Evangelion when you know, <laughs> when you know why these, these bizarre, completely inhuman-looking creatures, except for the first one, kind of, Sakiel, um, what, what, they, what they want with us. Uh, so I do think that that also, just like the terror of adolescence, the alienness of adolescence, the otherness of our future selves, and that sort of thing also is the kind of more personal layer of kaiju that you often see at play mm, in these yeah. sort of, especially giant robot, where mm. I think that the metaphor of like 
giant robot as man suit and not in the Buffalo Bill sense is is most to play. Thank you. Got Duncan to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of half flinch, half laugh. <laughs> Yeah, and I do also do wonder if, and this is this is probably something that I will regret and be called out for, but I do wonder if the, the Shintoist nature, this is always so tired and people are like, I wonder if Shintoism makes the Japanese apprehend like universal cultural concepts differently. But if the fact that like gods can be smaller and more mundane um, in Japanese culture because of the legacy of Shintoism does make it much more plausible that just a big fucking lizard coming out of the ocean is like, is as to a god mm. yeah. in that sort of like instinctual cultural context. I mean, you could potentially argue that that's a similar thing in Buddhism too. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also the second or biggest, or maybe it's the biggest now religion in uh, Japan. It's hard to tally up. <laughs> I, I mean, I imagine a lot of people would answer both. Yeah. Even after the government mm. efforts to promote Shintoism as like the native religion as opposed to Buddhism from China. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, both is, uh, is shintoism kind of like you know a way of thinking rather than like like a like a, a religion like that we would think of christianity being a religion where it's more philosophical I mean, philosophical than like explanatory we don't want i mean i think that that distinction might be useful but we don't want to fall into the idea that animism um that animism is not religion qua religion because it lacks a pantheon does that make sense yeah well i think like, it was never, like the, you, you the overabundance never... of the pantheon was the thing that was sort well, yeah, of interesting but like, but like if ever if everyone's a god no one's a god is <laughs> i i guess i feel like the counter argument there but i don't i mean i think it's a religion insofar as as it has a, a set of beliefs and practices that are supposed to affect the the nature and outcomes of the spirits or deities being described uh, but I'm not a religious studies major unfortunately <laughs> uh, no, I, I would be much more viable on the academic job market I think than a historian my, my knowledge of uh, Shintoism is similarly that it's, uh, I, 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 I get the impression with Shintoism it's sort of like this is a shrine for this specific reason and this god, this specific god, so, you know, Amaterasu is the god of the sun, that's in Issei, like, you go to Issei and that's, like, you know, the biggest shrine, and then there's other ones for just, like, housekeeping, love life, like, all these kind of shrines that are meant to house different gods, but I'm They not have a shrine all... for love life? Uh, actually, the, well, there, there is a shrine for, uh, in uh, Akihabara, which is uh, very interesting, because it's got, of like, a got it's it's a it's embraced the anime culture and love live is actually uh that's a real ship shrine that's also in akihabara that's the shrine that's used in love live that nozomi's using this is not anything to do with kaiju anyway <laughs> no i yeah i made a joke and you're, you're punishing me very effectively so thank so thank you Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah no it's, it's about sort of like different gods doing different things as opposed to rather like one over all-encompassing god doing everything or like but then again, there could be stories. I don't really know. Um, I guess Natsume's Book of Friends has a lot of those sort of kite stories. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Although, like, I don't know. When I think of Natsume's Book of Friends, I think of, like, a chiller version of Mushishi, which is yeah. hard, to, <laughs> hard to imagine. And Mushishi is almost like anti-kaiju and mm. that these things are monstrous and have an incredible destructive power. But they're tiny and mostly <laughs> beneath the notice yeah. of everyday people. Mm -hmm. So. So. Yeah. Shall we move off, like, or do you have anything, do any of you guys have anything to say about, more to say about, like, just 
kaiju as a concept before we move off on to sort of like our favorite examples of it yeah no i think let's transition yeah yeah, yeah. so what's everyone's favorite giant monster <laughs> <laughs> go on andy you start you've been quiet yeah i don't really like kaiju so <laughs> oh, really? why not that can be your answer <laughs> um so i don't really have one uh, like you you mentioned evangelion they wouldn't initially come to me as a kaiju based monster when i think of kaiju i think of godzilla or like something that you get in you think of you think of very standard like tokusatsu tokusatsu stuff exactly imagine. tokusatsu being like the creator i guess of all this kind of stuff so my knowledge of it i mean yeah i guess stuff from like uh what's that one sss gridman like that's yeah um, i was gonna say that's sort of like traditional kaiju and that's probably as most kaiju as i can think of but nothing like, well yeah because gridman is especially like tokusatsu ultraman homage too so yeah um so yeah my i don't really have a favorite kaiju but i guess one of the ones from ava <laughs> if i had to so, so, you're, so you're basically a you're you're a strict kaiju constructionalist <laughs> pretty um, much i don't i don't okay. view the other i think they're all sort of offshoots but i don't think they're what you could strictly term as kaiju mm. is oh, there a reason that you think that the, the closest one i think is probably the end of paranoia agent the uh, giant monster that sort of takes over everything and then doesn't. Oh yeah, Jeff brought that up before yeah. before yeah. when we were talking. Yeah, so I'm yeah. not really yeah. a big, and, uh, big kaiju fan. I never have been. Hmm. So I can't really. I'm I'm not very useful. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can help later. <laughs> yeah, I'll help later. Uh, for me, and this is me being like, I, I like a lot of the ever the ever monsters especially like the really weird one like the eye with wings that explodes yeah, in the sea there's, of blood. My, there's my boy uh, <laughs> there's my boy <laughs> my best uh, best boy uh, now ben you're gonna have to help me here how do i pronounce this name sahaquiel that sounds right uh where did you put it on there Sahakui- yeah sahaquiel Oh, it's just so good. It's so weird. It's like stuff like, and I, I, I am a big fan of uh, Eva two, 2.0 as like the best example of Eva just doing weird freaking monsters. Like if no matter what else you think about that particular one, it just has the best angel design of of the, the whole franchise. And for me, Sahakuel is like the the apex of it. Like this kilometer wide eyeball descending upon Earth, which then like fa- strangely fans out into like this weird, like almost ma- Mandelbrot type thing with like all these feathers and wings and like this giant central eyeball, which this torso comes out of and grasping hands and like oh so good so weird (laughs) yeah i mean i think that anno's honestly had that history for a while because i think of the uh in gunbuster which was what i was going to go to is like Ah. the monsters from from uh from beyond the solar system are these just like bizarre like bug building things that don't really and they they borrow a lot of this imagery uh for martian successor nadesco which is the number one anime that i I think we've never actually had like a a discussed entry on the uh, a podcast page for it because i don't have anything to say about martian successor nadesco (laughs) but like these ideas of these like massive like just unthinking bugs like the idea of the smallest creature 
put in space without the confines of the earth or the confines of nature just become this sort of like galactic sized locust. Uh, I mean, I'm convinced that someone at Games Workshop like <laughs> watched Gunbuster and was like, hey, yeah, what about the Tyranids? We'll take that. We'll take the <laughs> like the, the massive like space bugs and then combine them with the alien from Alien. Yeah. And then that's that not about cool. And then that yeah, I mean, would be that, I mean, our, that, that... our monster. That's basically their creative process so that that tracks for sure. <laughs> what if what if what if peanut butter and chocolate together? Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're basically mixed in with a bit of Cthulhu as well because they have yeah. this, this idea of infiltrating human societies and and like these cults about yeah. these star gods. So there's there's definitely yeah. uh, that 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 stuff mixed in. I mean, like God forgive. To be honest, it was like five or six ideas that they kind of retconned into being one idea over a period of about ten years. That's, that's true. Man. That's, that's, true. that's always the way. Oh no, I started the Games Workshop talk. All the, the war gamer nerds. But yeah, like the idea that at the end of Gunbuster, they can only defeat this monster by literally just like flying a black hole bomb into like the hive at the middle of a galaxy and basically destroying an entire galaxy to destroy the like the colony breeding these monsters that are just going to come endlessly um mm-hmm. and yeah in uh in martian succession to desco there's just like a wormhole orbiting around jupiter that's just like spewing these guys out and they don't really know where they're coming from and there is this i think that's also at least in a lot of kaiju like the idea of like where the fuck are these guys coming from and either we can't stop them coming or we have to go to where they're coming from and we have to figure out where they are and go there and then blow it up with a big bomb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that I think is very important. This, this idea of like the unknown, the other, just like coming out of nothing to attack us. Mm. Yeah, th- th- that was definitely like after uh, Eva, Gainax going into Templeton, Tefa, going to Lagan, and uh, from there on to. Oh, heck, I f- forgot where I was going with this. But yeah, like these weird... No, I'm curious where you're going. Oh, and... Where, and where from Gurren Lagann? Gurren Lagann and Gunbuster 2, like both had... Diebuster. Had, yeah. had these uh, a- aliens as a sort of outside force coming in, mm-hmm. like massive and unknowing. But also both had a, a twist in... in that you the first aliens you encounter are in fact something set up by humans because like the the retrofitting for die buster for the the space monsters is that actually the space monsters they fight for the first entire first half of uh die buster are a type of um sort of organic defense system that's got created to fight space monsters if they ever came back yeah and yeah. then got forgot about in 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 time and just like this idea of leftover technology just like going off and doing its own thing and yeah and then leftover technology and forever war is a very is a very important like theme in Diebuster and probably is underrated for how good Diebuster handles it because all people can think about is like the the dumbass robot girl who is the main character. <laughs> She's yeah. a good um, good dumbass robot girl though. Gunnar Lagan was more like a- aliens in this this idea that maybe the aliens and are doing things for our own good and like these huge monsters coming down to and basically saying okay we're here to control humans because if you're left to go out of control you'll be uh, you'll essentially become this this threat Mm -hmm. to the galaxy at at wide and like going the gun being like into 
in itself being like we don't care we, we just want to live and we'll deal yeah. with that when it, it it we get to it which is a very very human sentiment like right no and i think it's interesting too because uh there is this idea that you can that the seeds of humanity's own destruction are based in its technological progress which i think is an increasing feature of of like kaiju and giant robot stuff there and the idea that Gurren Lagann is it's like great great innovation is that we can just punch past that like <laughs> just don't make the same mistakes as the previous generations it's kind of almost the anti like oh if you pilot the Eva Eva you will in turn become the destroyers of humanity yep. which is the kind of inbuilt assumption of Evangelion and Gurren Lagann's like nah nah just don't <laughs> just don't do that yeah just row <laughs> just, row fight just... the power and you'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it did have that 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 optimism, which yeah, is is kind of was definitely refreshing at the time, and probably would be very different if we returned to it. Um, uh, speaking of refreshing optimism, though, I'm talking about Fully Cooly the original, not the other two, which are not canon and therefore not worthy <laughs> of discussion. But but the original Fully Cooly, what I liked about the the like monsters that. Uh, that they fought is that they were often they were always like hand it was like dismembered body parts which both took the mm. like the like the sense of dismemberment or um kind of dy- dysmorphia of the body that is inherent in giant robot anime and made it kind of imply that there's like a bigger creature that keeps trying to reach through <laughs> the uh yeah. the gate but like they keep getting cut off with like arm like hands and arms and stuff um and that these are in themselves barely enough barely barely weak enough for the protagonist to defeat mm-hmm. that there is like i think oftentimes gesturing at a much larger scale that we can't apprehend almost in a a lovecraftian sort of way mm-hmm. is the way that they kind of build up mm-hmm. kaiju as formidable foes like who knows how fucking big the the like robot is who provides the giant hand that moves the the iron um, at the end of the Fooly Cooly, probably pretty big. Uh, <laughs> so we don't know because the the sequels did not see fit to investigate mm-hmm. those interesting questions. They decided to introduce more characters and their dumb shit. <laughs> I so, mean, the classic. other the other fun thing about that Fooly Cooly giant iron is that it's uh it's built by people who are actively sort of helping the giant monster to destroy yeah. humanity. Yeah, it's the same ambivalence about technology that we were talking about before, like the mm-hmm. idea that we could be collaborators by blindly advancing our technological state mm-hmm. um, and not even know it or know it and don't care because you think that the payoff is going to be better. Yeah. When we get self-tying shoelaces, that's all that matters. doesn't matter who does. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, do you want to bring up your most bet, your bet noir slash worst fave slash <laughs> I just wanted to uh, mention that if anybody wants you know if you haven't watched any kaiju stuff and you want to get a taste of literally every single thing that we've talked about in the course of this <laughs> as well as Ursa Yatsura you can watch Darling in the Franks which is the most remarkably derivative anime yeah. like every, like just stuffed into a blender stuffed into a blender every time you think about it and talk about it it's like oh this is just one more thing that is ripped off because it's it's a show about these kids who you know they're doing they're having an Evangelion done to them and then it turns out that there is a a, a uh, 
a die buster happening in the background and also <laughs> <laughs> and then the and whole also thing the main curl is ursa yatsura and yeah, <laughs> yeah. who is yeah doesn't afraid of anything and kills the bad guys <laughs> and yeah it's the whole and, and, and it's remarkable because it, you know from the same studio that gave us uh SSS Gridman, which is probably one of the best sort of revivals of Kaiju while still internalizing a lot of the, you know, the sort of personalization of, you know, the theory of Kaiju and everything else. But yeah, Franks is just like remarkable in its ability to just do everything and still just not be very good. <laughs> like one kind of interesting, uh, <laughs> sort of wrinkle is that you know in the same way that you know ava and a lot of those it's like oh you know humanity is using you know sort of the you know the stuff left over from the last time it dealt with these to you know and you know forgetting what had happened you know accidentally repeating the the mistakes of the past whereas in franks everybody is unwittingly you know aiding the space monsters and the actual protagonists of earth are the underground dinosaur people who were the, the villains for the most of the show. And it's just, it's just such a <laughs> weird, dumb show. <laughs> it, yes. That is a correct judgment. I do think like we should not go on before like giving Gridman its full due. Oh, yeah. I do think that yeah, yeah, yeah. Gridman absolutely is probably the best execution of like a latter day kaiju show because like they really wanted to sort of capture the spirit and the essence of the old tokusatsu gridman uh shows because you know it had been locked up in this weird legal hell forever and this is the first mm -hmm. time anybody had really gotten a crack at it but they also you know smartly took a lot of the sort of you know lessons learned in the intervening time since gridman was a thing to tell a story that was very sort of grounded and personal and but still sort of you know embodying you know like you were saying you know kaiju can be a representation of you know adulthood and adolescence and that you know you know the the erstwhile well villain of the show akane shinjo is sort of you know she is in the middle of that kind of crisis and that sort of turns her into the villain of this world that everybody is struggling against and right. it's she she's got her anxieties it's not even like it's it's kind of like bad thoughts that she's sending out into the world and just like kind of like evil energy and like unhelpful mm -hmm. ideas that she had like preconceptions that she has that her wannabe friends want to def like defeat so they can like become closer to her and she rejects those things it's a really interesting like elaboration of i think evangelion's like codification of monsters as adolescence mm -hmm. trope so and yeah yeah it's visually the way that that's all done is quite i found quite clever because the kaijus mm -hmm. are, are they look like they're sort of crappily done and crappily <laughs> they're all shitty clay guys yeah, yeah. exactly and i almost to a point where it's purposeful i believe um yeah oh, absolutely. the budget's there like they, they look it, like the hand-drawn stuff is absolutely gorgeous so um the fact that they sort of progress uh like or regress to this sort of like weirder animation style is really striking uh the other one of course is a was it um, Pantene Stocking when they blow up the kaiju versions of the thing that they defeat every episode? It's quite fun, isn't it? Mm. I don't watch. I've never watched Pantene Stocking. So, so long since I watched that. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm I'm seeing if Gridman is out on Blu-ray because I'm tired of waiting. Um, <laughs> it is, but it's fifty fucking dollars. No way. That's on me for one volume <laughs> for sale for for the whole for the whole thing. Uh, that's probably... uh, that not... For twelve episodes? No, nah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna Gridman. I'm gonna go on there being the tightwad. Gridman's Grid- not too no, cool. Jeff. Was it? No, no. Okay, I'm thinking of Frank. No, Frank's not. was. Frank's was. I'm thinking of Frank's. Yes. Can we switch those? Like Freaky Friday, those shows. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. No, I, I think if you if you do that, then Gridman probably isn't as good. Like, there's... yeah, no, but, but let me ha- let me have my fantasy that more is better, Duncan. Well, I just want I want a 400 hour pen and paper RPG well, inspired video game <laughs> it'll be the best video game ever i'll never stop playing it this, this is why we're gonna get uh either three plus zero three plus one in uh well it should be coming out now but i am convinced that 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 uh eva 3.0 plus 1.0 is gonna be just incomprehensible like i think i think that anna has so much spaghetti he's thrown at the wall and he's gonna serve it to you in a big greasy bowl and you're going to yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Even if I even if I have to throw it up afterwards, I'm, I'm still going to eat. Mm. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. like, I, I think a lot of people. The the least liked entry in the whole series was um, the the previous one, Eva three point three three. And I think like you you've postulated, and so have other people, Ben. That that was Anno specifically saying to his audience, "Fuck you! You you really don't get yeah. it, do you? It's like you're not supposed to think this is cool." Yeah, you want you want Shinji to be like the powerful, cool guy, and that's not the point. The point is that you don't like you're not thrown into a bad situation and magically become like a more. It, it, empowered self-aware person like you are the person you are and you can't you can't change that through some like weird magic of like power fantasy and a girl loving you back to wellness mm-hmm. um so we'll see how that pays out in the last movie <laughs> where it's just where i think at some point ano had floated that it was going to be just like shinji asuka and ray just like walking through like the skull covered blood soaked wasteland that was now earth like having fucking waiting for godot conversations <laughs> i think someone probably talked him out of that probably for the best but if that's the mentality he's going into the movie with then two thumbs up from ben <laughs> yeah I would, I, would, well, I would eat that up no problem <laughs> yeah i really i really hope the fans don't get what they want uh in true yeah in true anno style um mm. and then the real fans who appreciate the things that anno's doing will love it and eat it up like ben Right, right. I want it. I want it to be bad on purpose. (laughs) So I think I think it's going to be very challenging. He's going to do a fifth one to clear up everything that happened in the fourth one. Oh God, no! Ano Ano's so tired. He wants to he wants to direct live action Ultraman movies and then and then die. (laughs) I think that's I think that's his career path now. (laughs) Okay. Well, speaking (laughs) speaking of wanting to die, Andy. Hiya. It's Hiya, like, yeah. <laughs> Hiya, guys. Yeah, as as I don't know anything about kaiju, I thought I uh, I would do my little game because uh, I've not done in, one in a year. So I figured, why not make it a yearly tradition and do a game? <laughs> twenty twenty, the apocalypse. Twenty twenty, the apocalypse. Game time. Um, so yeah, as, as so, I've decided to do uh, everyone's favorite choose your own adventure called "Can You Do What a Kaiju Do Too." Um, so you. I'm a big old nasty kaiju. How scary. 
You probably represent something meaningful like pollution, economy, or the social faux pas of modern society, but who cares about that? You've got some smashing to do! You're currently in the sea, facing Tokyo. What do you kaiju do? Do you A, continue towards Tokyo, or B, go the other way? Go the other way. Attack America. Yeah, that seems a good idea. Attack America. I mean, you sure? You sure you want to attack America? Yeah. They're, they're, they're ruled by Trump right now. They can't stop us. Fair enough. Go the other way. I mean... <laughs> no, for real. No, it's a... Uh... Yeah, no, sure. You turn the other way, but you slip up on a kaiju sea banana or some shit and lose all sense of direction. You eventually reach land, but you probably you think you're probably in America or some shit, but you're not. It's Tokyo. Your phone's uh, Godzilla maps isn't working at the mo. Probably because you're like out of range of Mothma, or even is Mothma some shit like butterfly or something, right? But a fucking butter cry, more like. Anyways, you're currently standing on what's probably Tokyo Bay, ready to fuck a building up. Like, why not, man? Fuck buildings. What have they got to do with anything? I thought you were going somewhere else in that sentence. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was waiting. I did not expect that up. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck buildings. Who knows what your reproductive cycle is? Maybe this is it. Fuck buildings. What have they got to do with anything? What do you, Kaiju, do? A. Smash the building to the left. B, smash the building to the right. C, smash the building straight ahead. The fact that you chose smash as your adjective here is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Jeff thinks this is a game where he can choose an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that Andy told us to pick A and Jeff's like B and he's like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's smash the building to the left. We'll, okay. we'll work from left to right, reading order. All right, all right. <clears throat> this building feels a little too small to smash. You destroy some frail old lady's wooden hut on the beach. It's not as satisfying as you'd hoped. Kind of like when you get those big plastic wrapping bubbles in your Amazon package, and you think, well, popping the small bubble rolls are super satisfying, so this must be like a hundred times more satisfying. Yet, strangely, it isn't. Like... It's like one and done, big pop, but just not to your liking. And popping it underfoot isn't like popping a balloon, you know. You don't get enough of a bang and you don't get enough of a tension as the balloon stretches to ridiculous sizes. It's just a bit pathetic. You do get some tasty ramen, which is stuck in between your kaiju toes, though. Health plus ten. So, what do you kaiju do? B, smash the building to the right, or C, smash the building straight ahead. Now, I would go with Jeff's previous answer if I were you. (laughs) (laughs) I had a weird, like, like, I had a weird, like, tingly gross sensation because I hate popping balloons like the way that they just stand when oh, you're squeezing them I know oh I hate it it's, no it makes me want to throw the up the tension the tension as it gets uh, like no oh, oh it does something but then when you just like pop it with a fucking pin it's just boring it's like walking up to someone you know is going to slap you really hard in the face <laughs> and you can't stop walking you can't stop walking towards them and you know they're going to slap you in the face it's the worst it is it's an awful feeling but those big ones That's, are shit <laughs> I fucking hate yeah. them. Anyway. Okay, let's uh, let's slash smash the building to the right. That's Y'all can jump in at any point in time, except for Jeff, who apparently is, <laughs> thinks he's a rebel. So. <laughs> hmm. This building feels a bit too big to smash. 
You climb its massive metallic structure like some demeaning ape and feel ashamed. What the fuck are you even are you anymore? A fucking joke, that's what. What's going to happen next? Some red-hatted knobber going to climb the tower and steal the orange, the one blonde girl in Tokyo who you just happened to grab? Fucking tit. Oh, and before you write in, Andy does realise that in the original Donkey Kong, it's actually Pauline, not Peach. And he has, she has brown hair, not blonde. And in Odyssey, she's the mayor of New Donk City, which is like one giant floating city in the middle of fuck knows what. Like, think about that for a second. How is that even working? How does gravity Sorry. work in this floating ass city of bullshit? Stupid games for kids. I hate it. Anyway, what do you guys you do? Smash the building straight ahead or smash the building straight ahead? <laughs> <laughs> Bowser? Is, 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 is this well, what this is all leading up to? That's the reveal that you were Bowser all along. Yeah, I think I think we're getting it. <laughs> Let's smash the building straight ahead. My pina colada is almost out. <laughs> oh, this building feels just right. The correct height, depth, and human density means it's a perfectly viable and completely satisfying smash. As the building topples to the ground, you roar a mighty roar. You are here, ready to state your claim as the best damn kaiju that's ever kaijued. Fuck, this feels incredible. Just then, you hear a response to your cry. Turning your head to the sound, you see one smoking hot kaiju. Hachimachi, now there's a kaiju to catchy. With so thick, with so many C's, you try to rearrange the words Hollywood to holly thick. So juicy not all the orange trees in the world could compare you try to re recall the lyrics to that Lizzo song but even the ragu won't do what this kaiju do to you Lizzo <laughs> to you we're, hey. we're hip <laughs> um, we're under 20 aren't we <laughs> only Andy we're under 30 aren't we <laughs> you all know that Lizzo song you know it I don't need to explain I know that Pete Buttigieg referenced it once <laughs> It ain't my fault that I'm feeling kind of loose. Gotta blame it on the goose. Anyway, moving on. What do you kaiju do? A. Like a beast untamed, you rush to your perspective mate. B. As a civilised millennial kaiju who doesn't objectify other kaijus, you turn around and find more appropriately sized buildings to smash. Bit late for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've only smashed three um... buildings so far. And the first one wasn't really well... a building. <laughs> I guess in this, the spirit of me spending most of my time talking about battle athletes, victory and calling out the racism. Let's go ahead and be a bit, be a bit woke here. <laughs> I'll take B. Okay. Right. You guys, you're yeah. taking B. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Right. Cause I haven't written it. Eh? <laughs> you turn around and find more appropriately sized buildings to smash. Each building you destroy reminds you of her. Each building slowly, slowly morphs into those sexy kaiju thighs, those irresistible kaiju scales, those breathtaking monster peepers. Then it happens, like the kaiju version of Lady and the Tramp. You smash the same building that she smashes, and you fall into a romantic and sweet kaiju kiss as the destroyed pizzeria and accordion store starts playing that heavily copyrighted song from that film. Your eyes dart away. But as we all kaiju say, a kaiju man doesn't think with his kaiju brain, but with his Godzilla cock. And if his brain is like the size this of, is I don't know, censored. a purple page, <laughs> and if his brain is I'm like the I'm size making, of... I'm making a gem face into the camera. You can't see this right now, listeners. <laughs> it gets better. And if his brain is the size of, like, 
I don't know, a football pitch that is penis might be the size of like a jumbo jet? And boy, is it ready to board. Looking over to his mate, you would see that she was also well up for it, as this was a tanned gyaru kaiju, which we all know is like so thirsty. <laughs> I thought this was what? a politically correct kaiju. I don't think this yeah, is. Yeah, I thought we went the walk route and then now look what's happening. No, no, my, no. My, my video's not frozen. I'm just staring at the camera in utter, in utter bafflement, making the like skeptical little girl in a car seat face where she's like. <laughs> well, you got to get more skeptical in a bit. <laughs> what proceeds next it's good. It's is possibly good. the most vivid and graphic mating scene ever killing thousands if not millions in the proceedings you hump your way all the way down to Kyoto bones straight through Osaka and then erupt over Okinawa an event which will soon become to be known as the great white wave of Okinawa an event that the Japanese government will have to provide a national apology as it gets mistranslated in western media <laughs> certified that your monster balls are empty you fuck off back to the sea what was even the point of all this i don't know (laughs) congratulations Congratulations! You are the best kaiju, and you win the kaiju crown thing. On to your next adventure, or whatever. Kaiju's are fucking dumb. There you go. That's my opinion of kaiju. <laughs> a- Andy, and you can I respectfully say the next time that you make one of these games, can you just beat off beforehand and kind of get it out of your system, yeah. and, and then you can, and then you can make the game. <laughs> I just had the idea, and then Jeff's picture disappeared. <laughs> Oh god. Okay, remember remember, rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Find but us don't, on don't, Twitter. Don't base your rating on this friend. specific part though. <laughs> no. no, give us any like give us a one star rating. I don't care. Rate us, please. It, it's so good for our discoverability. Yeah. This episode's not indicative. Uh we have some very good we have a very good Utna rewatch. We have uh, our Moto Gatari series, which is pretty horny, but n- does not ever come to the point of describing come as the great white wave. Uh so <laughs> Uh, find find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions about why we let Andy on this podcast at <laughs> keyframespodcast at gmail dot com. And of course, tell a friend not to listen to this podcast. <laughs> tell them to skip the last five minutes. The funny, the funny, the funny thing is, is I'm also the person who does the emails, so I'll fucking be reading them. So please do send them in. I'll be thrilled. <laughs> God damn it, Andy. Let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.